again, everyone. Welcome to Unanchored Boston. And as always, our show is brought to you by Cold Springs RV and by the great George Gray at George Gray's Lexington Toyota 409 Mass Ave in Lexington. Speaking of great, we've got the great Dan Shaughnessy with, I mean, that we could go three hours today with between <laughs> Tim Wakefield, Russ Francis, yeah. injuries to the Patriots, Terry Francona, uh, the Patriots, et cetera, et cetera. But Bob Lobelli, you get the intro, so take it away. Well, it was it's a fortuitous uh, time that we have Dan on, uh, Lynchy, because, well, people will you'll either find out today if you go online and read his column that came down this morning, which is Tuesday morning that we're, we're taping this. Um, but the column was uh, 50 years of, of, well, at least some of the great memories that Dan covered it was really a show within the show and we could spend three hours talking about it and we'll spend some time talking about it, but it's fortunate for us. We had a chance to read it before we went on. Uh, we originally thought when I talked to Dan last week, Mike, um, I said, Dan, we're going to talk about Tim Wakefield and spend some time uh, talking about what he meant to Boston and what kind of a guy he was. And then the Russ Francis thing happened. And so that just, you know, just made it a really tough week. Uh, and so we can't ignore that. And then the Patriots, you know, dissolving and all those other things that, that kind of went on since we talked. But, I mean, we did start off, Dan, talking about Tim Wakefield. We said we were going to do that, and I think we should do that. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, this this was a shock. I mean, it, it these things... Damn it, in this day and age, things, uh, it's like a, a news cycle. <laughs> Wakefield all of a sudden is dead. It's hard to believe because he was so much alive so a couple of weeks ago. And uh, at 59, the cancer, the whole shilling story, that it's, it, it's, it's so sad, it's, it's hard to even talk about. But then... You've written some a couple of very interesting and thoughtful columns on Wakefield and what he meant, and I know it meant a lot to you with your own daughter going through cancer. Uh, talk, we can talk a little bit about what this guy meant. Well, I mean, Tim came to us, I think it was 95, 94, 95, and obviously he never left. So really it was a 30-year deal, three decades. And um, uh, Brought here by Dan Duquette, by the way. Right, brought here by Dan Duquette. And... I remember him being this, he had this magical run in Pittsburgh before coming here. It was short lived and he kind of lost the field for the ball. And, and uh, he was out of kind of going to be out of baseball. And then he was revived here and uh, he won another, I don't know, 180 some odd games for the Red Sox, giving him 200 round total <clears throat> and just a presence. You know, he was a stand up guy. He was never a, like a great quote. I mean, Tim didn't light it up for you. He was kind of boring in that sense, because he was just a reliable guy who'd like to work with and was a great teammate. And then of course, uh, attached himself to the Jimmy fund and every other charity that came his way it could be a, uh, you know, autism or the soldiers, or he was just there, but the Jimmy fund was particular identification for him. And uh, he was the first Jimmy fund captain. And what struck me was that the swiftest of this, which you alluded to, which just that, you know, we could go, we had no knowledge that he was even sick. Right. And I pulled up that video from August 30th of the telethon with Nesson and EEI, which I do every year. 
And um, there's Tim. He was the promo for the thing, as he always is. You see it a million times when you're watching Sox games. And then I found the clip of, of his appearance this year. And it was like four and a half weeks before he died. And and he's he's totally whole. There's clearly no issue. But what no one knows is he's got a brain cancer. And I was told he had some trouble seeing a little bit subsequent to that. And uh, it all led to discovery of, of, of a brain cancer and, and a very quick surgery. But I talked to one of his agents last Thursday after the whole shilling disclosure, inappropriate disclosure. And I didn't think it was that dire where it was touch and go through the weekend. And I talked to another guy who you know, was a neighbor of his and he spent Friday with them just talking and, and you know, about what Schilling had done to the family and their privacy and talking about golf. And, and it wasn't this huge decline that, and then something obviously happened Sunday morning. And, but so no one was prepared for the first news that Schilling, you know, clumsily put out there. And then certainly we weren't prepared for Sunday morning that the announcement Tim said, my, I'm sitting right in this chair I'm sitting in and I see that Celtics story. That was a huge trade the Celtics made. And, you know, the Patriot game starting in a couple hours and I'm thinking, well, not a slow day. And then my phone rang and I'm like, and my boss said, I need you. I'm like, okay, I can write that Celtic thing. That's a big deal. It's a big trade. And uh, he said, no, he said, Tim Wakefield is dead. And I'm like, and that was, so it just, it's still hard to get your head around it. Uh, I'm really pleased for his family, the way he's being remembered and and just all the tributes are pouring in that's going to be non-stop and he deserves it i mean he's a you know and the guy started more games than anybody in the history of the red sox so pitched more innings than anybody in the history of the red sox it's pretty good in a team that had you know roger clemens pedro babe ruth pitching for him uh so you know on the field a great and you know we all know the stories how he stepped up and filled in when they needed him and was a manager's dream in that sense um and just was here a long, long time and then and then loved it here so much. He stayed here, you know, raised his family here and uh, and had this, you know, this bond with the Jimmy Fund. In that audio of his appearance, I, I still have stuff to bring out from it. He tells the world, this is when no one knows he's sick. He doesn't even know he's sick. He says, yeah, my daughter, you know, she's going to be a she wants to be a, a pediatric oncologist because of what she's seen of the work they do. I mean, this stuff just tears your heart up. You know, um, I, I heard one of the uh, J- Jimmy Fund women talking yesterday that as early as Saturday, he had planned on Sunday walking from the Jimmy Fund to the finish line at Fenway Park. That's right. how rapidly <laughs> this thing just yeah came on. Yeah, and that that's Lisa Sherber who has been there since 1992. I know Bob knows her. Bob was maybe discovered before any of us. I discovered her a year later when our daughter was in the clinic and um, she was single then, Lisa Graceffa. I think she worked at the station, right, Bob? Yeah. Yeah. And she's become this iconic, the play lady at the Jimmy Fund. And and she's real. this is obviously just really torn up, but she can give give proper voice to his connection and how legit it is and was, because this is not someone who, showed up once in a while with the cameras behind him. This is a guy who was a lifer. He was great at it. And he was always there for them. And Lisa knows that. And, and the world knows it now. 
Plus, he was a great golfer. I mean, enough people yeah, yeah. Don't realize what a great athlete he was. I mean, in terms of, I remember this uh, when she and Dan, it, it was in Fort Myers, across that old that golf course, across the street from uh, City of Palms Park, City yeah. Park, and they had a Red Sox had a golf tournament there. And Maya Menino was there, and uh, Mo Vaughn, and they were in the same. And Wakefield got up to the tee. On his knees, no lie, on his knees and hit a drive about 250 yards straight down the middle. I couldn't believe it. And I told him that ever since, every time I saw him, I reminded him of of that. It was just a, the most amazing thing I've ever seen. But to him, it was nothing. He was just such right. an easygoing and, uh, you know, a much beloved guy that just, seemed to do all the right things because he was the right kind of guy. Absolutely. I, I just, uh, you know, in, in his later career at Nesson, you know, they had this cast of guys, you know, Euclid and Millar and, you know, Lenny DiNardo, you know, a lot of nice guy players like that. And he was, he was in that cast. And, you know, I was glad we never, I never got around to ripping him for being too much of a homer team guy. Cause you know, so much of those guys, you know, except for Papelbon, most of them are. And uh, but he was very loyal. He was loyal to the Sox. He was loyal to the community. And he wasn't going to be a rabble rouser. Not in that job. Not at all. What um, about this? I'm sorry, Lynch. I was going to ask. I just, I, I, I'm just thinking of things that popped up in the last 24 hours. This yeah. some, this movement now to rename. Uh, was it Jersey Street, the old Yaki Way? Uh, to name it Wakefield Way. Yeah. Um, I mean, what does this guy deserve from uh, in terms of question. perpetuity? Well, they, you know. They've got a lot of things to do over there, and and um, you know this week there'll be announcement of services and how that's going to play out for his family and and whatnot. I think that uh, I I would seriously doubt that that they would change the name of that street after the, what went on with with going from Yaki Way back to Jersey Street and and John Henry's attachment to that and all the heat that came with that. Uh, I don't think that's going to get touched. Um, that's just my personal opinion on that. I have no knowledge, but you know, you could, you could uh, certainly retire his number, and and you know, they have rules about that too. You got to be in the Hall of Fame and all this stuff, and they bent that for a certain guy. They bent it for Johnny Pesky, who certainly deserved it. And you know, there's, there's about eight or nine digits up there now. It used to just be nine four one eight. You know, it was it was Dor, Ted, you know, um, Cronin, and uh, and yes. And then it's we we'll on. Of course, Jackie Robbins is up there in every ballpark. But yeah, I think I think a lot of fans would be okay seeing forty nine up there. We'll see if they if they go to that limit. Um, I think that that would be. I don't think anybody'd argue with that. And uh, yeah, they're, they're going to have these twentieth anniversaries next year of that 04 team. And this gets to the, you know, the awkward part of this whole talk we're having here. What are they going to do with Schilling? I mean. Well, I was going to ask you, that was my question about the Schilling involvement. Wow. I mean, I don't see how he could ever be welcome here. I don't think we'll ever see him again. I don't think anybody wants to see him. I mean, this was beneath, you know, he, he showed his colors on this one. You know what? He had three days to apologize, and he didn't. He couldn't do it. He could have said, you know, I meant well, sorry, bleeped up, not capable, and then Tim Wakefield dies, and now what do you do? But – you know, you all saw the, the Catherine Veritek tweet, you know, uh, which I don't know if we can say it here on your show, but it, it was, you know, bleep you, Kurt Schilling. 
not your story to tell. And, uh, and it's, that never goes away for him. And I, I don't know, it's, that's not a, that's not a political position. That is just, that's humanity. And, uh, and we've all had crises in our families and our lives. And, and this was, that was really wrong. And, uh, and they were very violated by that. And, and, and people are really mad at Kurt and that would include all of his teammates. And let me ask you this, Dan, as a reporter, when that story broke from Schilling and then the Red Sox put out a, um, a statement saying that the, uh, uh, that the Wakefields are asking for privacy at this time, do you still run with it if, you're, if it's out there? Do you, have, do you have to go with it? I mean, Well, once the team put out a statement, we're all obligated to, to report the statement. So, yeah. And it's hard to report the statement in a vacuum, like not explain why that statement was issued. So, but that was decided by Tim Wakefield's family, his agents, by the Red Sox. They knew that that would be covered. They put it out so that it would be covered and it would explain how they feel. And it, it did explain how they feel. And it also explained the truth of, of what Kurt Schilling did, that he, he was correct in his information which no one had any way of knowing that until that statement came out. But there was some pushback. Well, why, why is the Globe, the Herald, and TV stations reporting about, the, you know, this when, because the Red Sox issued a statement, right. you know, that's why. So I, it's funny. I wondered the same thing, and then, but it was, it didn't seem to bother me as much because I felt you had, somebody had to talk about it because the horse was out of the barn. It was just, it was there. Um, let me just ask a little more about Schilling. Uh, it's always been a mystery to me, be, mainly because Shonda Schilling has always been, I think, so great. I just, she was the direct opposite of Kurt. Or maybe I'm missing something here, but I know that she wrote a book on her, her artistic child. And I just, I, I just always felt that that was a match that I just could not figure out. Well, like we don't because I can't figure out. Yeah, I, <laughs> like a lot yeah, of my own, I couldn't figure out. I feel sorry for his wife and children. I, I just think he's really gone off the rails since he stopped playing. He wasn't like this when he played. I mean, the, it wasn't this level. I mean, this is new. This is menace to society stuff we're seeing the last ten years. I mean, it's 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 bad, and uh, that wasn't that wasn't happening when he was pitching here. So I don't know whether he's whatever. But, uh, yeah, I, I think for his wife and children, this would be a lot to live with. Wow. Sitting down in Tennessee right now. What, what attracted him to Tennessee? Well, Mike, if you go back to look at his statements, he, let, he basically flipped off all of New England. He said, I'm going where there's good people. I need to go where there's good people. So that was a message to all of you uh, in your audience that we are, he does not consider us good people. That's what he was saying. And, uh, that's just part of the whole, you know, after I asked the people of, of Pawtucket, you know, why they lost their team as a Kurt Schilling, you know, because of what he did to Rhode Island and, and with no contrition, the man who hates corporate welfare takes all this state money and runs it dry and bankruptcy and, and then gets out of Dodge and, and still manages to be insulted by, the locals, uh, you know, the Red Sox paid him eight million to pitch his last to not pitch in two thousand eight, and he's been flipping them off ever since for doing him wrong. 
I forget about that. Dollars. He never threw a pitch. I know. I, I forget about that now. And he talks about how horrible people they are. And I mean, you know, I'm honored to be on that list as well. So uh, we, we have a lot of history, but it's just there's uh, there cannot be an athlete in our region who's ever fallen. I mean, it, it just doesn't exist. I mean, the guy. The whole Hall of Fame thing about take my name off the ballot. Type. <laughs> Well, that was one of the, you know, that ended up having a, a very uh, fitting conclusion, which was he got up to 71% of the writer's ballot. And at that point, still had a year of eligibility left. Everybody who gets to that percent swings in the next year. He was going in the next year. Uh, Jim Rice climbed and got to 70%. And I always told Jim, don't say anything. Just let this, you're getting in. And he did. Kurt was getting in the next year, and instead he has he, he flips off the entire voting body, says, "Take me off the ballot. I want to be I want to be judged by people I respect." <laughs> so he was turned over to the Veterans Committee, and they hate him more than we do. You know, he got like forty percent from his peers, the Hall of Famers, and the guys in Cooperstown. So anyway, that was uh, that that was somewhat amusing and fitting to have it end that way for him. I mean, the man. If you had taken away his laptop five years ago, he'd be in the Hall of Fame. Yeah. Well, all this started with. I'm sorry, Mike. Go ahead. Oh no, it, it did it, it. You know, if he were, if this were 1973 instead of 2023, yeah. he'd probably be in because he wouldn't have a voice, right? Right. No platform. Yep. This all started with the the passing of Tim Wakefield uh, so suddenly that it was. It was just stunning. Uh, and I think all of us are still kind of stunned that it actually happened and can't really believe it. Um, but then again, it kind of goes over to Terry Francona and what he thought of Wakefield and, uh, you know, what that relationship must have been like. Francona, considered by many to be the greatest manager the Red Sox have ever had. Um, I would agree with that. I just... I'll never forget the first day that Francona arrived here, Dan, and they had him up at Fenway Park doing interviews all around. And um, I can't remember the sports writer's name. It's probably a good thing I don't bring his name up. But he started asking. He was. We were the last ones in line and, and sitting up there waiting at, in the 409 Club or whatever it was back then. Uh, and he was asking Francona about – Naming a, he was just trying to trip him up about how to pronounce the names of towns around here, Situate, or you know, go through the names of you know, Peabody. How do you how do you do the whole Haverhill? Just go ahead, pronounce the names of these towns. Like he was trying to catch Francona. I thought it was really embarrassing, and I just thought Francona. I just it was Ed Berliner. Berliner was this guy's name. That's remember him, Lynchy? Yeah, put him in the same category, Zipper Zipper. You know, it was just, it was awful. I felt terrible about it. But Francona just took it with grace. And I I was always a fan because I remember seeing his father play in Cleveland. I was, you know, grew oh, up yeah. in Ohio and I remember seeing Tito, the real Tito Francona play first base for uh, the Indians. And uh, it was always kind of a thrill. What's that? What do you got? Yours? Francona, yeah. Can you read it? Wow. Wow. Tito, Tito Francona and... Uh... No, no, the original Tito. Yeah, and yeah. that's uh, that's his signature on there too. Oh, oh, that's okay. That is really cool. His glove and his I, 
I took it to spring training the year after Terry got the job. And I said, Hey, is your dad going to be around? He says, Oh, he's always around. Stays at the, you know, stays at the Homewood Suites by the bell tower. Wow. He, says, he says, he's out there every, every day, every day at five o'clock to get those free meatballs. I said, Oh, great. I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll have him sign my glove. And that was my little league glove. It was, you know, Sears and Roebuck or the, the H S and H green stamps. That's what you got. And, yeah. um, Played with that, and then uh, I had the real the real Tito sign it. I was so That's happy. So cool! That is really cool. He was a great guy. So yeah, well, that I is. Just, well, I was just a fan. I mean, what can I tell you? I mean, you, yeah, you brought it a step closer. I mean, I'm just a kid in the stands, <laughs> thinking there's Tito Francona, and I get to meet his son. His son's yeah. managing the Red Sox. Well, how cool is that? But no, yeah. you got his damn autograph. I know, and it's like that is not. We did not talk about this ahead of time for all your listening audience. Oh so. no, no, this is all. This is right to have that right here. It's like life is never like that. There it was. Damn, grotten kids are unbelievable sometimes. <laughs> it's another thing. Seriously, Lynch. Okay, we're going to talk about Swampscott and, and being on the East Coast, but no, this is okay. This is pretty cool. I've got goosebumps now. <laughs> you know, Ohio guy. Yeah, I can I tell you, we don't get you know. Plus, when we when we were kids, if you had a great name. It translated into being a great, great ball player. Now that wasn't always the case, but there was always, you know, got Mini Minoso, great Rocky Calavito. Yeah. Oh yeah, come on, don't start now. <laughs> Tito Francona, Harvey Keene. It just rolls off your tongue, Tito Francona. Totally. You, know, you pick a play, you're playing down the on the playground. I, I, Jose, I'm a Tito Francona today. Yeah. The man hit 363 in 1959. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the White Sox won. I was just thinking the other day. One of my grandsons. How old was I when I first remembered? I remember the White Sox, so I would have been six and fifty-nine. And I, I then I, I clearly remember uh, Mazarowski in seventy. Oh yeah, oh yeah. So by seven, I really was vested and all in for the rest of my life. There goes the demographic for your podcast now. Oh, you know what the hell there? You know what? You know what? We're not. We're not. We're in it for the money. We're not in it for the audience. <laughs> So Dan, let's uh, this this fifty years was yeah. spectacular. I mean, it, it you could have written fifty pages, I'm sure. Oh yeah. And um, I, I just I had so much fun. And then when it got to the end of it, I I saw one picture. Then all of a sudden, this is Dan Shawnas. So he can be. Yeah, yeah. Why did we end it there? Come on, oh, I was oh, waiting sure. for ten more pages. You know, yeah. I was sitting at my desk yesterday. Come on, okay, we're Tuesday. I want to remind everybody it's online. Yeah. At, right now. If it should be for Wednesday and Wednesday, it'll be Wednesday's quote. And you know what, Dan, before we go any further, Lobel uh, texted me last night. He says, and Dan's got a column that's going to drop tomorrow. <laughs> I almost fell off my chair. Drop. I'll get the lingo. I'll get the lingo now. <laughs> I'm getting it. It's the only one I know. Yeah. So that, I mean, it, I, I took note. I had scrapbooks, you know, when you were a young writer, you had to keep your clips like you guys would keep your tapes, but so I kept my clips to get the first job. So everything I wrote, I kept. And I was a correspondent while I was at Holy Cross for the Globe because I replaced the guy ahead of me and, and it was lucky. So I would send stories to Jerry Nason and Ernie Roberts, these guys, and they'd come out and do our games. I'd get them coffee and run quotes for them and, you know, just what you do when you're a young guy trying to break in. So uh, they allowed this story to run October 4th, 1973 by Dan Shaughnessy, Globe correspondent. I kept that. I was, I was so excited. My name was in the paper. Yeah. And uh, so I have all of my clips from doing high schools and little stuff. And then um, 
I knew that date was coming up. So I, I, I tried to reach the guy I wrote about. His name was Mark Sheridan. Lynch, you might've played against him. I, you know, he, uh, he was class of 74 and uh, I know, yeah, he would have played that game when Holy Cross beat Harvard uh, in 70, 71. You weren't there yet, I guess, but um, I'm, I'm same as you. I was a senior in high school. I, yeah, I played John, uh, Danny Lucy, um, John Provost. Right. Uh, John Provost was in my class yeah. and uh, Sheridan was a year ahead, but he was, he was six, five, 200 pounds. He was fast. Wayne Harden talked about him at great length because he caught like nine balls against Temple and he got drafted by the Eagles. Anyway, I wrote a feature on him uh, and um, it got in the globe. And then I tried to find him 50 years later. I couldn't find this guy. His teammates, nobody has talked to him. He's gone off the radar. He's in Bowie, Maryland. And so I said, well, I can't write about him. He's not even, I said, he must've known something 50 years later. He still won't talk to me. It's like, you know, a lot of guys, <laughs> <laughs> he was sort of a fortune teller in that sense, but, uh, <laughs> but uh, who knew? So I said, well, I can't do that. So I said, well, you know, 50 years, I'll, I'll just write about stuff. I remember. And that's how it leads in. I remember. And then you go through all these litany. I tried to do one per year and I had all my, crap around me i keep a lot of little diaries and notes and journals and and uh you know it's like when we're talking here old guys who remind each other of things you start telling bob's talking about looking for the sport coat you know down in hernando florida that was a, that was the thrill ride but um so yeah that's what we do and and um i i got going and i started looking at the word count and i'm like geez i'm not even in the 21st century yet and oh you stopped early this thing's already too long and uh so i just had to reconfigure and say I'd go back to the 20th century memories and stop when, when I have dinner with Bill Belichick in Watertown, when he first gets the job in 2000. And we know what happened after that, the next 23 years, there was a lot of good things. I just, it just got too long. And, you know, we have those, the, the commenters who generally come at me with a pickaxe on those things and, you know, you just get killed by the commenters. But a guy wrote a thing. He said, this could have gone another trillion words and I'd still keep reading it. And I was really, hard, I don't know who that guy is, but I was really heartened to read that because I could have kept going, but I said, well, I was talking to two other, two more guys just feel exactly the same yeah, way. Exactly. Because I felt that way this morning. I mean, there's nothing else to do all day long. So I, I could have read it. I could have read it all day. Eating it in, in Watertown. Um, Beersh, uh, Nigerian, is Armenian, and it's a big Armenian population. So was Beersh responsible for picking the restaurant? Yes, yes. I had known when Beersh, um, who I, yeah. I love that guy, you know, he's a Wellesley guy, and uh, but Beersh went to BU, and I knew him when he was young. I used to do stories for ESPN magazine on Parcells when he was coaching the Jets, and Beersh was a young PR guy with the Jets, and of course, the D coordinator was Bill Belichick, and Bears saw no ascension with the Jets because the main PR guy was never leaving. I think it was Frank Power. He still had the ring from the Namath team in 69. This guy was never leaving. So Bears attached himself to the D coordinator. And when I'd go up there, we'd, he'd chat me up because he was a BU kid. And I uh, got to know him. And then when Bill got the job, he brought Bears with him. And uh, they were, at that point, soliciting media to try to have nice things written about Bill in the first year in 2000 and I was on that list and bears knew me. So the three of us had dinner in, uh, in Watertown with at Stalina, which is just closed a couple of years ago, but it was very intimate and uh, the three of us, and it was nice. And I'm thinking, boy, those days are long gone. You know, yeah, at what, at what point did Bill stop soliciting the media? 
I'd say, I'd say when they, I'd say the next week, probably after that dinner, <laughs> they, you know, I think he was doing it against bears as well, but, uh, and you know, you remember they went five and 11 that first year. So there wasn't, he still needed a little help, but maybe he got a little more forgiveness because of that free meal at, at Stalina. I don't know. But, uh, one year later they won the Super Bowl, and, and then he could behave the way he likes to behave with us, which we understand. True. Let me, let me ask you, speaking of the Belichick and, and behaving, um, this is going to be a long year. I'm looking down their schedule, and they might win two more games. Wow. Well, you got to, are you giving them the Saints? I'm, no. Okay. I'm giving, them, I'm giving them the Giants and the Broncos. Okay. Yeah, I know it's it's rigorous, and I mean, you know, two with Buffalo still, that doesn't sound good. I mean, now with Judon hurt, Gonzalez hurt, geez, I mean, it's making me long for the days of Matt Patricia at this point. You know, I mean, it's I was going to say the happiest guy in the universe is Matt Patricia. <laughs> I, I don't know. I mean, I, I've always been a Bill guy. I do believe in that sport. The coach is so important and that all that greatness really, it's major. And I hate to see what's happening to his, his reputation with this. It's, it's just tough sledding because now it, the narrative now is going to be it was all Tom. And that's not, that's not, Dan, he said, you know, I'll make the argument for the other side. You know, every season he's had without Tom has been a losing season. Yeah. That's the argument for the other side. It's just, I I don't know if I agree with it or not. I'm really caught in between. Lynchy, you're a football guy. You played at a high level. And I just believe that in that sport, the coach is the difference. And that a system, that's why the same high schools win every year. And that, I know that Tom was Tom, but I give Bill a bigger piece of the pie than Tom. I, I just do. But that's never gonna that's never gonna wash now because Tom went and won with Tampa right away. My argument against that, Dan, when I'd say up oh, yeah, in high school and college, you're absolutely correct. It is the coaches that make the difference. Oh. But after, but even now in colleges with the the portal and yeah. you know the NIL or and just the all the other stuff that's going on, right? In college, it kind of evens, makes it more like the pros, and so the coaches have yeah. less of an effect. That's all I'm going to say. I think you're absolutely right in high school and college. I want Mike Lynch to tell me that the Patriots, you know, 14 AFC championship games, nine Super Bowls, six Super Bowl wins. Who gets a bigger part of the credit, Belichick? Yeah, or Brady? I want to hear this answer too. Tom Brady. Okay, there you go. Doesn't Absolutely. mean you're wrong, Dan. It's, yeah, I like your argument. I really like your argument. If you say it's an argument, I, I wish I could make, but I can't. Well, you look what he did. What he did for the Tampa team. He instantly turned them into a winner. Instantly, yeah. And instantly, and they they probably should have gone to the Super Bowl the next year if uh, the defensive back uh, didn't get beat by the guy in the Rams. Um, they may have gone to, the, to another second straight right. Super Bowl down okay. down down in Tampa. Let me ask this again now. We're all thinking, looking at the Jets quarterback and saying he shouldn't even be in the National Football League anymore after the Patriots game. Now he comes out the other night, and he has a pretty solid game. Yes. He looks pretty good. Now let me ask you this. Who would you – if you, you could have either him or Mac Jones as your quarterback, would you swap quarterbacks if he were the Patriots? Oh, boy, that's a tough one, Lynchy. They could do a whole couple hours on that. I, I, I mean, I know Joe Namath backpedaled on Zach Wilson – I'm not going to go that far. I'm still going to say Mac Jones, but you know, you're the football guy. If you're telling me, so you're telling me you'd take Zach Wilson over Mac Jones right now. I, I just see fear in his eyes, Mac Jones. Yeah. 
Yeah. I just, I mean, he threw two balls. He should have had another one picked off. Oh, he threw one right to the guy after the yeah. second one. Yeah. Right to him. You yeah. can't uh, roll to the right and throw across your body across the field, especially against, you know, th yeah. this game. If you ask anybody who comes from college to the NFL, what's the biggest difference? They say speed. Speed, yeah. speed is the biggest, biggest difference. I don't think sure. that's any secret. And we saw it the other day. We yeah. saw it. Okay. Yeah. Mike has spoken. I believe him. That's good. Yeah. That's strong. I, I love Bill Belichick. Trust, trust. I, you know, did the yeah. show with him. Um, that must have been fun. Me well. What was um, it like to doing a show with Belichick? Is it like doing a show with Patino? Um, well, you know, it was interesting. Um, he never told me not to do anything. Spygate. He says, "Are you going to ask me about the, uh, the what's going on down with the Jets?" I said, "Absolutely." He says, "All right." Well, I'm, I really don't have any answers. I said, I'm going to ask you two or three questions about it. And, uh, you know, I'm, I don't know what questions I'm going to ask you, but he, you know, when we get to that point in the show, and he uh, just said, yeah, I'm not talking about that. Yeah, I'm not talking about that. I'm looking forward to the Bengals or whatever. Um, so I never had any problem with him. I kind of, I, I do, and I'm sure you all feel the same way. Don't you cringe at the fifth quarter? Oh, you my God. You yeah, were there, Danny. I saw the back of your head the other night. Yeah, it's must-see TV, that fifth quarter thing. I mean, I just – but it's so awkward. It's just a big bowl of awkward for everybody. And, uh, yeah, it's uh, – you know, I, you guys have had Alice Cook on this thing, right? On your, yeah. your, oh, yeah, you a couple times. So you got to ask her, you know, that year they were 5-11 and 11 out of the gate. You guys had an arrangement where he had to talk to you like in the morning on game day or something. There was a one-on-one -on -one with Bill that Channel 4 had at that time. And uh, she was – we were in Cleveland one time – it was the typical, what do you think, a gray day in Cleveland? What are the odds? You know, it was this horrible gray day in Cleveland. And he was sick. He was gray. And they're standing outside the bus going to the stadium. And poor Alice and Bill, he was sick and gray. And they had lost all these games. And it was one of the worst interviews. No one could get anything. I mean, it was particularly bad on this day. Ask her about that one. I mean, it's like you, you all did it over the years. We all have done it. But, boy, try a gray day in Cleveland when – when he's sick and the team's like, oh, and, you know, one and six or whatever it was, it was nasty. I promise that'll be good. I'll ask for a death will. <laughs> you know, I, I just, I, I mean, everyone, you can get away with all the grumpiness when you win. I mean, you know, yeah. you're the king, you make the rules. And so many people now are just going to see him as an angry old man if this continues like this. And I just, I, I, I just hate to see him, you know, I, I don't know if there's anybody, Bish or anybody that can say, all right, Bill, look, he just, Make make the best of it. Do it three minutes. Just say yep, nope, and then don't give everybody the death stare because you can't get away with it now. Oh. When the team is tumbling down the chute, you can't get away with it. You can't get any any laughs out of it. You can't get any sympathy out of it. And somebody's got to see if they can just get to them. Dan, I want to. I know we're talking about Belichick. We can come back to this in the Patriots, and it sure doesn't look good for the rest of the year. Mike doesn't think they'll. When how many more games, Mike? I get two. Two more right. games. That's fair. I don't know. I think the Broncos and the who else was the other team? Hey Dan, before before you go any further, uh the picture right here, Larry Bird. What, oh, yeah, trophy, what trophy is he holding? It looks, looks like a CYO trophy, doesn't it? Yeah, so um when I was doing the beat, the, the Boston Globe had a, a nice annual award. It was the Jack Barry Award. And Jack Barry was 
covered the original Celtic team in 1946 for the Globe. Jack Barry invented the word turnover in basketball. It was, you know, because it was a new sport at the professional level in Boston. And, you know, Red didn't get it until 1950. But, uh, so anyway, there was a Jack Barry Awards, very nice. And he was a lovely man, wonderful guy. And uh, I think he died in 75. But um, so every year, Red would designate, the award would go to the player who was the most cooperative with the media, whatever. <laughs> and uh, my first year in the B was 82, 83. And Max didn't talk the whole year because he was mad about reporting on a paternity suit back home in Carolina. And Max shut it down for the whole year. And I was unaware of what we were missing because he's so great. And he just, this guy doesn't talk. Okay, we respect that. And at the end of the year, we said, Red, who do we give the Jack Berry Award to this year? He said, Cedric Maxwell. I'm like, come on. <laughs> That's what he would do, just to break chops. So we had to present. I think Ryan refused to participate. And um, and then the second year, I'm, I'm giving him, it's the last day of the regular season in 84. First year, he was MVP. And I'm presenting him with the with the uh, Jack Barry Award for being uh, good with the media that year. And, of course, it's right before the greatest playoff spring of all, you know, the the Celtic Laker 84. And, you know, it shows you how big he is because I'm not a small person. And, you know, he's like eating candy off my head there. And uh, he was teasing me about something, but we were getting along good in those days. That was, uh, that that is, I can tell you, I think it's uh, like April 15th, 1984, something like that. Yeah, Scoop. That's what his name is. pretty called you, Scoop. Right there. I got it. I got to pay, sure, pay for your high salary, Mike. So hang on a second. <laughs> Dan, I got a question to ask you before you, you know, this is important. Right after this, Mike's got a good question to ask you. Uh, campers, are you ready to see what's new for 2024? I know you are. Cold Springs RV has next year's models and they are arriving daily. So go check out the latest in pop-ups and travel trailers and fifth wheelers and motorhomes. Tell them Bob Lobel, Mike Lynch, and everybody else sent you Cold Springs RV. The doors are always open, and you can freely browse around. If you want to see the latest in camping, get to Cold Springs RV in Ware, New Hampshire, your destination for all things camping. To learn more online, ColdSpringsRV.com, ColdSpringsRV.com. That's the place to go, the place to find it. And the question for Dan Shaughnessy from Mike Lynch is. All right, Dan, I think you've had this. Uh, before you've been on the show um cold springs rv is uh, in the process of building a lowry cruiser which we very much uh, like the madden cruiser and uh, we're going to travel around the country but we're going to give our guest uh the rv and you can take one person with you to ride cross country that you can have a conversation with the person can be alive person can be have passed on doesn't need, doesn't need to be a sports person it can be anybody well, you're choosing well, they'd be alive you know, when you were driving, they wouldn't be sitting there. Right. Dead. You can't, you can't pick Nobel or Lynch, so who would you pick? So, wait, I need to know the rules here. I'm picking anyone in the history of the world? Yeah, apparently. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, within somebody we'd call it all recognize, you don't. <laughs> no, but I mean, I, I think, um, you know, I'd probably. Napoleon or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I mean. Yeah. I would I would say uh, probably probably John F. Kennedy. Yeah, I take the trip with John F. Kennedy. Well, that's not a bad one to hear. Can I ask you? Can I even further the question and say, okay, let's pick somebody more contemporary? What contemporary? Who's who's living? Well, um, well, uh, I think that 
Crosby, I mean, Stills, or Nash, one of those guys. Yeah, I've been there. It's oh, yeah, okay. He can't. Stills can't hear. You'd be yelling the whole time. Okay, you know? that's, all. that's good to know. Um, so that's. I think um, it's going to sound funny, but uh, I mean, Tom Brady, uh, Bill Belichick. Honest to God, Bill Belichick. I think you'd get a lot. You know, a lot that. But you'd be forced to talk, you know, and and I think there's there's a lot there, so uh, yeah, those those are, uh, you know, Theo Epstein, you know, just guys you'd really learn learn all the backstories would be really good. I like, I like that. I like that a lot. Yeah, good. I like that a lot. Beautiful. I don't know if you'd make it to the Mississippi River with Belichick before you'd be like you know chewing on your arm or something. I think there's a, I think there's a lot there. Thrown out of the car, you know, Ernie yeah. Adams. You know, the, 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 so many books have been written, but, you know, yet to have been written is the is a defining book on Bill Belichick. And I, I, I haven't seen it any place in print yet. Well, Ian O'Connor's was the closest, but Bill, yeah. didn't, Bill didn't help him out. No. So that's a setback. And the Wickersham book on Better to be Feared covers the whole thing as close as anyone has come, in my view, yeah. um, as opposed to Dynasty, the Benedict book, which is a, you know, a uh, puff piece for Bob Kraft, you know, uh, to the point where it was, it was given out to season ticket holders. So, you know, that, that that's one to avoid. Absolutely. Um, Russ Francis, uh, again, another, what a, what a, what a week it has been. Um, but the, the, this is a guy, as Howard called him, my all world tight end in so many ways, not just on the football field. Yeah. I mean, you guys lived it. I mean, how good he was, he was, you know, in his time, considered the greatest tight end in the history of the sport for periods of time. You know, Casper came along after that, and obviously we fast forward all the way up to Gronk and Kelsey and what's going on now. But I mean, it, and it, you know, how close Leslie Bissard sent me an email yesterday. She's in the Hall of Fame. <clears throat> she said, um, "So sad about Russ Francis. The media player relationship was so different. You know, we all travel with them in the '70s." like you did with the Celtics. She said, one time in the fall, Russ took me up in his glider to see the foliage, like something from out of Africa. Very unique guy, loved life. So, you know, you got this young reporter who's riding in a glider over the foliage, and then he dies in a plane crash. It's not even established whether he was flying that plane or not. There's, there's two guys up front, one of them's, you know, and he, he bought, what, he buy the airport or something? Yeah, I mean, so... Yeah, I mean, and he always had all those interests. I didn't know the guy. Um, just had, you know, he's a renaissance man, had all these interests. And, uh, but for those who were covering, you know, like you talked to, well, Upton knows a lot. And obviously, you know, Borges, um, you know, Willie, when he was alive, just they, they were front, front, you know, he was, <clears throat> he was a big deal. Russ Francis, a huge, huge deal. Danny, my agent, and I, we had the same agent, Russ Francis. And I both had the same agent. And my agent, you know, was, was really a good friend and, and we played golf a lot together, would always tell me about how he Russ lived in Hawaii at the time. Yeah. And he he flew Ken, the agent, around Hawaii in his plane. He would take his Ken up in the plane around Hawaii. And I haven't even talked to Ken yet about Francis's death, but it's it's just kind of amazing that, like, you had the Leslie Visser story and yeah. 
I have another guy that just flew with Francis when he was in Hawaii. So this is what he did all the time. Mm. I just don't know, you know, who, right. You don't know who was flying that day. They, they determined who was in what seat, but they don't know who was actually flying the plane. But the guy he was with was an extremely uh, right. talented and had a great deal of history in, in aircraft and with the service and everything else. So who knows? Just so sad. So it's been a tough week. It has. I, you know, I, I take that back on the on the Patriots. I, I think they might win four more games. Uh, they, I think they'll beat um, – um, in Las Vegas, because I think Belichick just owns. Um, what about Jets at home, Lynchy? Uh, no. Okay. no. I, I think the Jets, and I, I didn't buy this whole thing about the Jets defense was so good and they're blah, 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 blah. But, you know, they showed me something against Kansas City the other night. Yeah, yeah, it was a game. By the way, it, 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 will anything be coming on uh, the Travis Kelsey and uh, Swifties? I did one last week, and that's my quota. I mean, that's uh, I, I can't I can't go back there. Yes, so, I have. Right. Yeah. If she never heard noise like that, you've never heard a, cr a crowd like that. Right. Yes, if she goes to Minnesota next week, then we'll know it's real. I think the New York thing was too easy, but it's it's an she interesting. Come here with the pay, would she come here when Kansas City plays here, and will she sit next to Kraft? <laughs> wow. She'll sit next to Kraft for the uh, obligatory TV shot. I don't know if she'd put up. I don't think she could put up with being beneath him when he's in the high chair. That'd probably be too demeaning. You know. That was a great line of all time. Why is it that you never see the owners of any other team? You see Robert Kraft and Jonathan, but like you never see, you know, Woody Johnson. Well, he's, he's obviously he's cozied up. I mean, it used to be Les Moonves would be in the box with him, you know, yeah. and then then they both had their little dust ups. But uh, yeah, I mean. It, I think there's, you guys are TV guys. I think there's, they put special lights in that box so that they're more visible. I think there's Klieg lights, whatever you have in there. I, you know, it's oh, yeah, of course. Right, right. That's too, that's a good point. Very important to him. Ooh. You know, I'm looking at your Holy Cross shirt and you, you proudly wear it and, and yes. rightly so. Um, I had a guy I went to high school with who was about three years ahead of us named Bill Adams. Um, he was drafted by the Miami Dolphins and traded to the Buffalo Bills and played six years with, with OJ. So OJ said to him one day, he said, where'd you say you went to college again, Bill? And he said, I went to the College of the Holy Cross. OJ said, I never heard of it. He says, you're kidding me. No, I never heard of it. So the Bills, you know, obviously play one game a year in New England. And they watched, uh, they, in those days, they, they, the, big, the biggest color TV was in a common room. So the whole team was in there, and Holy Cross was on, playing Harvard or UMass or somebody yeah. on the game of the week. And um, OJ tapped him on the shoulder and says, is this the team, the team you played for right here? And uh, Billy says, yeah. He says, I would gain 500 yards a game minimum if I played for this team. Right here. That's, that's, he's right about that. <laughs> and Nicole, you, saw, you met OJ and Nicole. Yes, a New Year's Eve party. Uh, it was a very small party. They, it was a, a like a it was a bar nightclub that was closed for the night for this private party, and and um, I was there for the Rose Bowl, and I had friends who were friends and connected folks, and and yeah, I mean they weren't married yet, and um, she was very young and and you know very very pretty, and you, you remembered her, and then when you know, years later it was like. 
12 years later, OJ's wife was killed. When I saw the pictures, I said, well, that, that, that's the one. That was her. Wow. Wow. What were, you, what were you doing covering the Rose Bowl? You know, in those days, the Globe would – the Celtics invariably had a West Coast trip around the holidays, and I'd be out there. So they would just say, while well, you're out there, and, oh, my God, they'd be playing – you'd do the Rose Bowl, and then the Celtics would be in San Diego, and, you know, it, it could be a number of things. We were very aggressive in covering a lot of things then. The, the Globe covered all four bowls. So whichever writer was – located the closest to those proximities would, would then go. And, you know, if, if the Bruins were, were playing the Dallas or something, that guy would do the cotton bowl, you know, cause you just, that's how we did it. So I was closest that happened numerous years where I got quote unquote stuck at the Rose bowl. It was, it was, it was a nice, nice thing to do. I did orange bowl, cotton bowl, did them all. Yeah. I was going to ask you more also about Francona, but I, before I do, I wanted to ask you about, do the Red Sox really know what they're doing? At least now that Alex Cora, can he both be the general manager and the manager at the same time? This seems like an untenable situation. It's, it's very awkward that they're really, that doesn't present as a good situation. Um, you know, it's not an enticing job. I mean, they've fired the last three guys before they finished their fourth season. A couple of them on the heels of winning world championships. And now you've, you've established that your manager had just won the power struggle. He's announced, he's talking about next year's opening day starter. They haven't done anything with the coaches. I mean, and they've got this, this, you know, posse of, of vice presidents and general managers all in place. I mean, who wants to come into this? And then you got owners who are trigger happy and need someone to blame all the time. It's no, it's, that's a really poor way to get the thing going. It presents like they do not know what they're doing. And uh, Alex, Alex might as well be the owner of the team. He's clearly, they, they, they love him and nothing touches him. And he's got tremendous power. I mean, the, the Mets, I would rather be a fan of the Mets. And I know they, they had a bad year too. And, but the owner spends money, doesn't care about money. And he hired a guy that's, you know, a young geek guy and said, this is yours. And that guy, David Stearns, he, he fired Buck Showalter the last day of the season. He's bringing in all of his own people. He's going to do it his way, which ultimately that's the way the game is trending now. It's very unusual to have this sort of manager power from a guy who, you know, they just finished last two years in a row. What does that tell you? They don't know what they're doing. Yeah, it, it's, it's really a, a shaky time over there. And, you know, no accountability from ownership. They should be at that press conference yesterday. Right. They no no availability. They're just hiding. Yeah. And Sam, poor Sam's up there. You know, we love Sam, but he's not a baseball guy. He's taking all the bullets. And uh, and then seriously, you're raising ticket prices. I mean, not maybe not the year to do that. This might have been a time to say, yeah, we'll just leave it alone this year. That that's that that's people just they feel insulted. I think. You know, the optics weren't good either because there was a story this week uh, from the Fenway Sports Group, one of the other acquisitions. And oh, yeah. That, that, the optics on that just are not, are not good in any sense at all. It's nonstop. They, they are, the Red Sox are part of a portfolio. There's no other way to look at it. And, uh, and it just feels like, you know, they've, they've done their winning and they're, they're resting on that. And, um, and now it's, they're, they're behaving like a middle market team, which they are not. And that's, 
So it begs the question, are these really fans of the Red Sox or are they fans of Fenway Park? Well, the ballpark is the star and, uh, and they know they can get out of towners to come in and the tours. And, and again, we saw Dodger fans, Met fans, Bray fans all take it over this year. And that's where we're headed. I mean, Rob Ref Snyder is a lovely guy, I'm sure, but you're just not going to sell a lot of merch on Ref Snyder. And and you looked at in today's globe, they got, you know, <clears throat> check it out. It's a nice piece by uh, Julian McWilliams. It's on the roster and he breaks down the whole thing here. And under contract options, free agents, oh, three years out of, of service time, which means club con club control 25 guys club control that's what they love when when high made the deal for urias the one deal at the deadline he said we've got club control for two years they love club control they want 25 guys on one-year contracts total turnover every year and you're not going to sell a lot of merch with that you don't have stars and this is uh these are your boston red sox that tampa thing was real except for the winning part yeah no, these oh, are not your Boston Red Sox. The baseball park is your Boston, is yeah. your Boston yeah. icon. It's your Sitco sign. It's your, it's your star. It's your Faneuil Hall. It's your. I mean, they're counting on people being happy just to sing the song in the eighth inning. It's really, what happened? Oof. Is it is it as bad as when we were kids? Uh, and before before nineteen sixty seven. Difference was for me is they had ball players. They had Collier Strumsky, Tony Canigliaro. Um, other recognizable names. There isn't a person in that lineup that I want to go across the street and buy my grandson a jersey yeah. for. You know? it, it, it's really, uh, it's they, they just don't understand that. And I agree with everything you just said, Mike, because we were kids. There were guys, Dick Raditz, there were guys you wanted to see. You know, yeah. Bill Malmaquette would win 20 games and did finish eighth. But, but yeah, of course. And then you're, you're bringing up young stars, Reggie Smith and Mike Andrews and it just felt a lot better. I know we sort of romanticized the past. They were bad every year, but they just finished last three times in four years, six times in 12 years. And um, it's not okay. And not, they charge the highest prices in baseball and the dearth of stars and just that club control thing I just talked about. This is what happens, Dan, when the dog catches the car. It's tough. Let me read my uh, last spot here. Yes, please, Mike. You know, if uh, if you're looking about uh, to get a new car, go where Lowy and Lynchy go, and Dan goes too. Go see our friend George Gray at George Gray's Lexington Toyota. We've been customers for years because we know that George Gray will treat you right. Dan George. wrote about Red's favorite Toyota dealer. I don't know who that was, but we might as well say it was George Gray now. <laughs> That's right. Family owned and operated dealership that we trust and you can trust as well. Go see the great George Gray at Lexington Toyota. He can talk about everything that we've been talking about for the past 55 minutes. Uh, he's a big sports fan, but more importantly, he'll be with you and he'll be your car dealer and friend for life. Danny, what, what did we not cover? Oh, you got something, Bob? I just want to ask Danny what the deal is with Groton. <laughs> well, well, no, I mean, seriously, it's like the Yalta. You guys have a meeting every month called Yalta. You it's explain every, that? That's fascinating. It's ah. every week. It's, it's every week. Okay, sorry. And, uh, you know, just that the, the world evolves around Groton, Massachusetts, and it's a very small town. We all have small towns in our past, and and uh, very dear to me. I was very fortunate to grow up there. Had 4,000 people growing up. One of them was Peter Gammons. One of them was me, and 
and uh, we, we we love that about it. And uh, I've I've lifelong friends from there, and 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 subsequently gatherings, you know, like like Bob Ryan comes to our Wednesday thing because he went to Lawrenceville Prep, and there was a there was a teacher who taught at both Lawrenceville and Groton, and the same teacher taught Peter Gammons and Bob Ryan in those two prep schools. So uh, stuff like that. What about Richard Johnson of the Sports Museum? Richard Johnson went to Lawrence Academy, which is in Groton. You know, AJ Dillon went to Lawrence Academy, which is in Groton. You know, we could go, we could go on forever. And uh, it, it, so that's the that's the the uh, that's the Yalta summits of of 2020 through 23. Still going. 149 weeks in a row, fellas. Always outdoors. Really? Really? Yep. Wow. Do you have a lot of steps on your front stairs? Not a lot. Oh, good. All right. Well, we can both make it, Mike. Well, the two cripples can make it up, make it up three or four <laughs> stairs and get on and get on there. But we may only make one visit, but we're going to make a visit. You guys are welcome. Just just reach out to me. And you know, you know where to find me, and you're always welcome. Why is Francona leaving baseball? Well, it's his health. I mean, you know, I I talked to him last week, and you know, a lot of us who know him are concerned about it because that that clubhouse life is is the life. And I just worry in the absence of that. But he, he, he said, I got this figured out. He's had over 40 surgeries. He's going to have to have new shoulder put in and got a couple of hernias. So he's facing more. One of his foot, feet almost had to be amputated. He's got very poor circulation issues. Um, and, you know, his habits aren't good. You know, the hours and the diet and all that stuff, all the bad stuff. So, uh, uh, he must, it must be bad. And I, I worry about him, but he's, he told me when I was quitting playing, everybody said, you won't know what to do. And I, I got past it. He says, I'm going to get past this too. And, and, uh, hopefully he'll take care of himself and get himself right. And, and, uh, but boy, he's a loved guy and he, I think he'll be wished into the hall of fame within five years. So, and he deserves it. Absolutely. Be, uh, best book you ever, you ever uh, wrote, Dan, the, uh, one with him. That book was, it was just, it was a very great experience. Uh, you know, he got fired. Um, I have a really good agent who said, you know, he had rep, he had, he had rep the Joe Torre, Tom Verducci book, the Yankee years when Torre got fired and, you know, it sold a million books. He's Mitch Albom's agent. He's, so anyway, he said, you should reach out to Frank Kona. I was like, yeah, well, he hates me. So well, I'll just send him an email. So I sent him an email. I said, Tito, sorry, you got fired. You want to do a book? Comes back. No, and not with you. <laughs> but, but then, then he, uh, you know, when all that Holer stuff came out about the Percocet abuse and the failed marriage and, you know, when, when the Sox brass did him dirty to kick him on the way out, um, he got more angry and more interested in telling his story. And I became more interesting to him because he knew I would be a good way for him to to get it out there and, and maybe, you know, maybe scare him a little bit. And, uh, and it, it was just a, we, we did it in like eight months and, you know, New York times bestseller list number two, he was yeah. always mad at judge Sotomayor. She was number one. And he, he thought that was a fix, you know, so, <laughs> you know friggin' judge. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so it was, and I know Lucino and Tom, they tried to say the book was fiction. I said, well, I don't know. We're number two in the New York times. Non-fiction list, so I, I'm going to stick with that. Did we ever find out who the source was for the whole? No, we never will. You are no one, you know, like four people in the world know that. And 
Um, no one's going to find out. When when John bought the Globe, I was concerned about the the i the the IT the laptop and the desktop and the the phones and all my my stuff and so I had IT come down and go into the deep deep drive on the on the Google devices and just erase all that stuff because I thought it was like the first scene of Argo when they're breaking the hard drives and shredding documents and they they're, they're coming into the embassy and that was that was me when John bought the paper I had to get rid of that stuff so no one's ever going to know those sources you can guess but we won't tell you no that 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 spring training was I mean it, it was oh. uncomfortable for you and and you you know I had to ask all the questions but it was a comedy show next question next question yeah. Next question, Lucino. Just yeah, we were, we were right at you. We were indoors that year because yeah, was rain, right. it was raining out. Yeah. There's, some, there's some vicious pictures of that where he's, <laughs> he's, he's I'm getting the, the Sicilian daggers from Larry the whole time. So, yeah, it wasn't good. What's the relationship between you and the owner of the Globe? And I know every time you mention his name, you also put in parentheses, also owner of the Boston Globe. Right. We need to make that clear. And so we do. That's, that's, but, Here's what I'll say. There is no relationship. We haven't talked since 09. The first seven years or so were pretty good. You know, I'd go to his house for dinner. We did some stuff together and sit in his box and I enjoyed it. And um, that went away. And uh, now he owns the paper. I, mean, I, I give him a lot of credit for that. I'm still here. I'll check my phone when this segment's over and see if that's still the case. But it can't be any fun owning the globe and picking it up and, and reading about me writing about that team. Uh, when things are going the way they're going, and but I think that uh, isn't, again, man, isn't he a businessman first and realizes that you're yeah, one of the most but, you're one of the most iconic parts and well-read parts of his newspaper? Well, that's true, but we all know that we're all expendable, and and you know you could you could get rid of me and take a little. No, and I thought we'd be around forever. That's what I'm saying, <laughs> you know, and you know he could easily trigger me and and have a couple days of pushback, and then life goes on for everybody. So. I give him credit, you know, for that. So I, I think that's that speaks yeah, highly. I, do too. I think he's really smart. I mean, I think he, I can't believe that. Well, hopefully he's smart enough to know the heat he'd take if he did that. But it's, yeah, it's but no. I, 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 give, I think it's 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 a really it's a strong statement that that's allowed. I really do. Good. I'm glad you feel that way. But I can't believe you haven't talked since '09. That's that's pretty. That's pretty much it. No. That, yeah. There was a. There was a fork in the road there, and we went, you know, like that. Yeah. And you took it, as Yogi would say. Yes, he did. Yeah. Right. Good one. Well, Dan, this was great as always. Thank you so much for uh, your insight and sharing some of these stories. And, uh, you know, it's great. We're not really three old fogies. I turned 70 last week, Dan, by the way. There you go. And, Welcome uh, to the club, and yeah, call me anytime. You guys want to come on Wednesday? Just reach out to me. We'll figure it out. Yeah, Wednesday, Wednesday at two. Let me just reiterate that Dan dropped his column on the uh, internet today. It'll be in tomorrow's Wednesday's Globe. I think you'll love it, and it's only the first of two installments. I'll put it that way. Hopefully, we'll maybe, that. maybe first of four. Who knows? Yeah. Dan, thank you very much. Great yeah. job. Thanks, Thanks everybody. Thanks. Still next week. Thanks, Dan. Talk Take care, guys. Enjoy it. Bye-bye. Bye.
Unacred Boston is a presentation of Unacred Media, a Burke Advertising LLC company. For show information, visit unacredboston.com. Thank you.